There you are. Here I am, Pastor Paul, bright and early Monday morning, November 7th. Wow. We did a little falling back on time. And while it was glorious on Sunday morning, body still freaking out a little bit, trying to wake up at 5 a.m. this morning, going to bed at 6.30 last night, all that good stuff. But anyway, we're here. Glad to be here. Welcome to Romans Rewind. We have, if you can believe it or not, three weeks or so, three sermons left in the book of Romans. And this past Sunday, we were kind of closing shop on the last major theological section of the book of Romans. One of the chief reasons that Paul is writing, how do Christians in the body of Christ relate to one another when they disagree? When they disagree strongly, when each believes that they are acting upon biblical principle and conscience. And that's been Paul's chief concern. He's been writing about matters of indifference. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to be indifferent to them. Paul obviously thinks they're important. He's writing about them. When Paul, what Paul calls disputable matters are those things that are not tied to the core of doctrinal truth, Christian orthodoxy, our confessional standards, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and in a word, the gospel. We're not debating those things. We're not indifferent about those things. Those things are what make us Christians and tie us together. We're talking about other issues, Paul is, things like feast days and what to eat and extrapolated to our context, what we drink or don't drink or smoke or don't smoke or how we educate our kids or the medical decisions we make, how we interface with the government, how we vote, politics, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And so this Sunday, this past Sunday, we tried to put a bow on top of all this and talk about why it is that Paul is giving these directives. And it goes far beyond simply giving us rules for best practice or how to do what we really want to do in our Christian freedoms and still get away with it without someone bothering us about it. I mean, it goes way beyond the horizontal. There is a real vertical dimension. And let me read uh, the first part of our passage together again so that we can kind of get a running start. So this is Romans 15. Let's begin at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. But whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That last couple, those last couple of verses there are really the takeaways. Paul says, this is all done so that you might be one, that you might have one voice, that you might have one witness, that you might display the gospel in your relationships with other people by the way that you defer, by the way that you submit, by the way that you uh, bear with the failings of one another. And in doing so, you are imitating, of course, Jesus. Now, one of the things that we've talked about here is that deline in delineating the, the, the strong and the weak, 
I said yesterday during the sermon that Paul nowhere castigates either the strong or the weak to change. He doesn't, he doesn't talk, he doesn't come down upon them about their convictions and their conscience. He says that if you're not violating scripture and to walk in faith, to be obedient, you feel like you need to do or not do certain things, that's between you and the Lord. That's true. But one of the things that Paul introduces here, and it's it's been implicit the whole time, but it's really made more much more explicitly ex- explicit here in verse one is when he identifies himself with the strong. He says, "We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak." And in saying that, Paul, I think, is setting a trajectory for us that if you were to take a snapshot of Four Oaks Church right now, there would be varying degrees of strong and weak brothers on a variety of issues. In fact, we might be simultaneously wearing strong and weak hats, depending upon the particular issue. And Paul says, God loves you right where you are. You have to hold those convictions with the knowledge you have and the background that you have to take into account. At the same time, it's clear when you read Paul's letters, that he doesn't desire the weak to stay weak. He doesn't desire the strong not to become even stronger. In other words, there is an expectation as the body of Christ that even though at any one given time we are this snapshot of strong and weak believers, Paul, it's part of his chief mission to make sure or to exhort us towards spiritual maturity and strength, regardless of where we are on the um, biblical spectrum. And in other words, just because you are weak today doesn't mean God wants us to stay weak in terms of our convictions and consciences. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to grow in theological knowledge. And what I want to spend the first, these, this morning doing is just going over some of those verses in passages where Paul exhorts us to do just that. And then we're going to spend some more time this week talking about how we do that and what does that look like. Okay, so first of all, if you have your Bibles, and I don't understand why you wouldn't, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm just going to read a few passages to sort of help us understand Paul's ultimate desire for us wherever we are on the biblical spectrum, whether we've been walking with the Lord a lifetime and have a wealth of biblical knowledge, or whether we're a brand new Christian and we don't know a lot, we just know that Jesus loves us and died for us. What is Paul's goal or ambition for us? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be what? What's that word? Mature. Okay. So Paul's like, you're, you're young in your faith now. I want you to continue to grow in your faith. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11 and following. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by, the, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So in other words, Paul says, here's where you are. I desire, God desires for you to grow, to mature, to, um, to have a greater stature and biblical understanding of the Christian walk and faith. Okay, let's just read just a couple of more. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse, oh, let's start with verse 14 of Philippians 3. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Once more, Paul's saying, don't stop. Wherever you are in your biblical maturity, keep growing, keep um, walking with Christ. Okay, two more passages. Let's turn to Colossians. This is a great passage. Him versus, this is Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim. Let, let's, let's back up to verse 27 because 27 is so good. Let's read verse, start with Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Sounds like this idea of maturity is a big deal, is a big theme in Paul's letters. What, one last verse, Hebrews 5. Again, this verse 11 of Hebrews 5, about this, Again, about this, we will have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And what's what's interesting about that last passage, it very clearly shows us the way forward, the writer of Hebrews does, to maturity. And that is to be taught the basic principles of the oracles of God, that we have to be trained in discernment um, in order to distinguish, by constant practice, it says, between good and evil. So what do we take from all this? Well, I think once again, let's be reminded that Paul does not condemn the weak, all right? He just gives rules and regulations for how the weak and the strong are to relate. But I think it is very clear by virtue of the fact that Paul identifies himself as the strong, that he desires everyone to be strong. He desires everyone to grow into the maturity of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He desires us to not be infants any longer. He desires us to feed on solid food, which of course is the is the word of God. Now obviously this is a lifetime process. And none of us will be made complete in Christ from a existential experiential aspect of course until glory. We're positionally mature in Christ, secure in Christ, but but in terms of our actual growth into godliness that awaits Jesus's return. So in that sense, we're all on a spectrum of strong and weak. But make no mistake, Paul 
is not saying that it's best to be weak. Paul's saying some, the reality is that we are all going to be weak on, in different ways at different times in our Christian life, but we are to press on towards maturity in Christ Jesus by our diligent study and knowledge of the Word of God, which is the only place we find the true divine revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Paul would say, we love you weak, we love you strong, but we want you to continue to mature. And as we mature, as we grow in our faith, there is a growing oneness in the body of Christ. That's why without the word of God, what Paul exhorts us to in Romans 14 through 15 is impossible because there has to be an ultimate standard of truth that tells us, is this good and evil, or is this simply a matter of conscience? But Paul, remember, he says elsewhere, I wish everyone was like me, right? And what he means by that, that we were all mature in Christ. And by God's grace, we continue to grow in that maturity. Now, what does that look like? How does that work in our Christian life? Well, just have to check in tomorrow. Lord, Thanks for this time. Thanks for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us um, to make us mature in you. Um, and we want to continue to grow into that maturity um, with every breath we have. Lord, we commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.